Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm Mr. East of the Forest. This week, I have a conversation with Patrick McConnell. Patrick is a writer, and I saw some of his writings um, and musings around the psychedelic space, particularly one he wrote recently about uh, music and psychedelics, microdosing, I believe. And it, it piqued my interest because not a lot of people are d- digging into that. But he's got a blog where he writes about this called Adjustable Normal, adjustablenormal.com, and lots of interesting things there. And I reached out, and he's living down in Peru, and he was able to hop on. And so over the magic of this series of tubes known as the Internet, we were able to connect, and we have this wonderful conversation for you now. Um, Quick business Next thing coming up in the live space is going to be at the Love Serve Remember Ram Dass Retreat in North Carolina in the mountains, in the magic of the mountains of North Carolina. I'll be there with my partner, Marissa Rada Wepner. She's going to be leading a lot of the movement and the yoga, and I will be doing a ceremony concert there. And uh, Bob Thurman, who's been on the podcast, will be there. Krishna Das. Also been on the podcast. Spring Washam. Also been on the podcast. So it's sort of a podcast reunion tour. Um, other Lots of amazing things going on there. And I think it's the first time they've done this out in the mountains. So it should be, should be pretty fun to do that. Um, so looking forward to that. That's at the end of August. And you go to eastforest.org slash tour. And you can see some information about that. And I want to thank uh, some people who signed up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash East Forest. It's what I call the council. It's our council on Patreon, Lindsay and Fiat. I hope I'm spelling that right. Uh, thank you for signing up recently, as well as Matt. And of course, thank you to Andrew, who's been one of our supporters since the very beginning. Um, lots of wonderful people in our council. We even do the monthly Zoom council where we we gather in real time and we do a music meditation and that's one of the tiers but see if it's right for you it's a great way to support the east forest project in this podcast itself it's the main mechanisms for supporting the podcast and i get to share all sorts of like fun demos that i find and extra podcast content uh, see if that's for you patreon.com slash east forest um I think that's pretty much it for now. We're hoping to be able to announce some more things coming up. I've got some releases coming up that I'll be able to tell you about soon and some interesting collaborations. I'm hard at work finishing my new studio record. I should say next studio record, but it's something I've been working on for a long time. And I'm going to do one more session uh, for some bass and cello with Owen. He's coming into the studio here uh, in a couple days. And... Maybe I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel on this one. It's always like making records is crazy, you know, because sometimes you're feeling really inspired. and You're like, oh, my God, I can see it. I can see it. And then there are other moments where you're like, I need to start over. None of this is right. <laughs> like I should, And I have those thoughts. I've been having those thoughts of like, I can do better. Or it's like, is this really what I want to put out? But I don't know about you, but, you know, I sometimes I... I listen to like my release radar on Spotify or something and it it feels less inspiring than it used to be. Almost like people are really pushing to put out so much content that 
it's more about uh, quantity over quality. Not not everybody, of course, but there's always gems in there. Uh, but there is such a content machine that we find ourselves in. And at the end of the day, I think we all would prefer quality over quantity, even though we're getting so used to these like hits of new, something new, something new. It's a hamster wheel, um, but that's the musings in my mind as I am creating. But I did get a chance the last couple of days to do some solo backpacking, and that was quite lovely. I was feeling the deep need to do that, and uh, I just feel so grateful that I was able to carve out the time, push some meetings around, and so forth and so on. I went out to uh, eastern Oregon. So I grew up in Oregon, but I'd never been to this mountain range in eastern Oregon. It's quite remote, especially if you're coming from the west side of the state. But I was coming from Idaho, and I drove out there and went up way up this road, way up high, and was this beautiful sort of alpine trail that then dropped into these alpine lakes that was stunning, stunning, and uh, hiked up the nearby summit the next day. So it was a couple nights, and... It was just me and a bunch of mountain goats uh, and like a cool thing was a bit like a whole lot of butterflies, all different shapes and sizes, monarchs. And I mean, it was wild. I got to the top of the mountain and there were just like thousands of butterflies swimming around me. It was like unreal. Um, But it's always, I always feel grateful to be able to have those sorts of experiences, especially when you're solo, because you really can feel ensconced in that natural experience as a reminder of like that that's us too and like all the all the kind of worldly creations and machinations and structures that we have are are just that you know they're these sort of structures on the they're icing on the cake they're like boats floating around on the surface of the ocean but the depth of the ocean is who we are too and that's all of it. That's like this huge, immense, deep, rich experience of spaceship Earth that is alive. The Gaia experience that we are part and parcel and walking around on. So it was it was great to be able to to be up there. And uh, I'm a little beat up, but I'm I'm looking forward to more. All right. Well, thank you again to everyone who reviews the podcast and shares the podcast. You can now review it on Spotify and you also can review it on Apple Podcasts. That that helps a lot for us to get the guests you want to hear and to show support for the show. And of course, doing that by uh, saying hello anytime you like at info at eastforest.org or on the socials, East Forest on Instagram and East Forest Music on the other platforms. Well, let's dive into this conversation with our new friend, Patrick McConnell. Patrick McConnell, thank you so much for taking the time from far-flung places. You're in Peru, you said? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's like roughly similar time zones, right, of where I am? We're an hour. Yeah, your mountain time, we're central. Okay, cool, cool. But a world away at the same time. Uh, welcome. It's nice to meet you. We were just we were just about to talk about how we crossed paths, and I thought that would be better to do that here on the show. So yeah, I was saying that you wrote an article. You are a writer, among other things, and I'd like to ask you more about that. But I saw an article you wrote about 
uh, intersection of psychedelics and music. And I was about to tell you that, you know, there's not a lot of discussion about this out there. And I think one of the reasons is nobody really knows what to say. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, and on the other hand, it's not thought about as much. Like it's sort of, everyone knows music is great and can be really transformative in a sense, but it's also at the same time, strangely an afterthought. So before before we get into that, I think it would be good though if you just tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, what some of your passions are, just bring us up to speed a little bit and then we'll answer that question. Sure, yeah, yeah, so I'm Patrick. Um, I'm a freelance writer. I do content creation online right now, heavily focused on psychedelics, among other things. Um, yeah, I've been just sort of kind of obsessed with altered states and yeah, substances and uh, yeah. yeah, like whatever, like meditation, breathwork, all these things for quite a long time. Um, so then a couple of years ago when all this uh, science and news and everything started coming out, I was going through a life transition and decided to start researching and writing about it. And it's actually turned into a pretty fruitful thing. Um, mm. Yeah. Where are you from and how, and how did you end up in Peru? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a Canadian. I'm from the East coast of Canada. I, I mean, long, it's a bit of a story, but the, the short of it is I came here a couple of years ago and drank ayahuasca and went back to Canada. Life didn't make sense. My wife also drank ayahuasca and we were like, yeah, we're going to leave. And then COVID hit and we really just got sort of pushed out the doorway quite quickly and went on a bit of an odyssey through Latin America. And now sort of serendipitously without like a real plan, we've landed in Peru and we've been here about a year now. Wow. Where in Peru are you? Sacred Valley. So just outside of Cusco. That's, that's, I mean, I haven't been everywhere in Peru, but that was my favorite place. Uh, when I was in Peru, it was a sacred Valley. It's, it's, it feels like it says it's, and it's beautiful. It's a good energy there. It really is. Yeah. There is like a, a, a mystical quality to it, especially in the rainy season with the misty mountains and all the Incan ruins. Yeah. It's definitely a special place. Yeah. I figured you'd been here. Yeah. Uh, there was, a. I wish I could remember the name of it. I think it was named, shit, I can't even, this is bumming me out. I don't remember his name, but he did sell it, but he had a little like hotel type place, little, you know, a little place, one of those. And we became friends because we were staying there for like five days. And he told us like about a hike. I was saying, I really do want to take some hikes that are kind of off the beaten path because I'm a little tired of like seeing all the touristy things. And he's like, if you just go like, you know, down the road and then through blah, 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 and just go up this path behind our place, up the mountain, about two, three hours up, eventually you hit this village up there. And he says, it's totally cool. You can go up there. It's a great hike. And I remember we walked up there, my partner and I, Karina, and you you get to this spot where it's above the tree line and there's this community up there and they're all living in these rock houses that they, very basic, just stacked rocks with big holes in the walls. And those are their domiciles. And they, there was like a waterfall in the back of their little village and like little goats or sheep, I remember. It was very idyllic and very beautiful. But I, what blew my mind is they would have to hike down the hill quite far just to get firewood and then bring it back up just to have anything to burn, which is their main source of everything, you know, cooking and heating. But that was one of the most magical experiences I had in Peru was just hiking up to that 
that village. Yeah, no, there's like, you don't actually have to go, like it is quite a touristy here, but you don't have to go so far to find like a really sort of authentic other world, uh, which is sometimes hard to find in like the modern world. It's quite refreshing to see it, even if it's like a little shocking sometimes actually, like you said, like carrying firewood just to survive up like like a mountain hours every yeah. day yeah yeah um okay so a little more backstory for myself here and for everybody so <laughs> like what drew you to ayahuasca in the first place and could you tell us a little bit about just i'm curious about that that time you drank for the first time it seems like it must have been a big deal because <laughs> here we are talking and like you're still in peru and now you're writing about psychedelics. It seems like it's a big part of your life and your interest. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, what drew me to it? Like, when I was a teenager, I just, I got into psychedelics then, took LSD and had this, like, kind of, like, awakening moment. Like, was, like, an atheist. And then, yeah, just sort of, yeah, like I said, I got obsessed with it. Like, I would spend, you know, the site, your Urowid? The, like, it's... Mm. Yeah, it's OG, I was yeah. like the only site. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. Yeah, I just spent hours and hours on there. And so back then is when I first heard about ayahuasca. And I was like, oh, yeah, like Arrow, Arrowhead's like the Craigslist of the psychedelic <laughs> space. I, I love it. It's like super it never sold kinda, out. Yeah, no, it's still going. Same, same design, same Amazing. everything. And they uh, I like it. It's kind of raw, like all the like experience reports are very uh, real life. Um, yeah, not not sexy packaging on that. But um, yeah, so I heard about it then. It was on the back burner. And then I was, yeah, I guess I was 30, sort of going through a bit of a, I was just burnt out. I was working, I was working in the cannabis industry in Canada. It was like just a very, very intense job. Um, it was very interesting, but it was just too much work. So I took like a vacation uh, to, yeah. to Peru, drank ayahuasca. And... Yeah, so I was just here for three weeks, and I drank it every couple of days, um, just going to a local center. <laughs> it's so hard to sum up uh, that that period, but I, I, the best thing I could describe it as was um, it was like a heart opening experience. Like I'm a very intellectual person; I write and think a lot, um, and it really brought brought out um, this understanding of of human connection and and, and like love just love for my partner and my wife and realizing how I was sacrificing uh, the like really like meaningful stuff in life to, to make money and to, I don't know, have prestige or a nice apartment or whatever. Um, so that was kind of the beginning, but it kind of like, you know, like one thing led to another and it kind of cascaded until there was a lot of factors going on at the time, my relationship and COVID and work. And it just sort of, it was really interesting going back to Canada and it just kind of unraveled. Like life didn't, I didn't fit anymore. I ended up leaving my job quite quickly. COVID hit and I had this time limit to leave the country before like the world shut Mm -hmm. down. So it wasn't really like I came here and was like, oh, I'm going to sell everything I own and move to Peru. It's sort of one thing led to another, but it was the the heart (laughs) of it. As they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like (laughs) when you take ayahuasca, that's how you sum it up. One thing leads to another. (laughs) You know, <laughs> it's it's so hard to like pinpoint this moment where ayahuasca is like you're gonna sell everything you own and become a writer. Like it's it doesn't quite go like that for me anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. 
All right. Well, let's dig into things. Um, I just want to like, uh, I just, you know, I read some of the stuff you were writing and I just thought it'd be fun to kind of like dig into riff on some of these ideas and get, a, you know, some different viewpoints on the landscape out there. As we know, uh, psychedelics, there's a lot going on right now yeah. and for better or worse. And so let's, let's talk about some of those things. I'm curious what you think. Um, so going back to music, why is it overlooked? Especially like I, I here's a ayahuasca is a perfect way to segue into this. Like for them, it, traditionally music is not overlooked. It's uh, it's, yeah. it is the experience. Like it's the vehicle for the spirits to come forth. It's the way to navigate the space. It's everything. Song, and that is sort of what the shaman is really doing: is singing and carrying the songs. Uh, and that has not become divorced from that experience. And the ceremonial container with ayahuasca is part and parcel. You don't really see people. Only one time in my life have I seen people passing around ayahuasca socially at a party. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Uh, and they were like, you want some of this? And I'm like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> no. Um, but mushrooms, quite the opposite. Um, we actually, not only has it not stayed attached to that medicine, we, we actually don't know a whole lot. We know some, we certainly know some, but it's not like it's, these are the songs, this is the experience, this is the container. And we could talk about other medicines, but it's, it's, they all have different degrees of that truth in reality in Western culture. Um, why do you think that is? And what do you think the future holds for the role of music in this space in this burgeoning landscape that we're in? Yeah, that's a great question of why. Like, I don't, I wish I could think of a specific reason. Like, there, there a few things come to mind. Like, I mean, for one, there's a lot of focus on, like, um, sort of patents and marketing things and commercial applications. And I don't, like, I don't think you can patent music. I don't really know how that works. I guess there's, I guess you can. I, there's ideas. Wait, it's copyrights, like man. Yeah, yeah you yeah, write you a can. song, it's your song. Yeah, so maybe maybe we'll see that with uh, with with medicine music. Um, it's interesting that it is a bit of an afterthought because yeah, I completely agree. Like it, it kind of is the experience, especially with ayahuasca. Um, the shamans, I, my understanding is that is like a huge amount of their training is to learn how to. It's like kind of like the maps of the ceremony in the space and the the different um, right the different right. ways of of working with the medicine in people. Um, and it's also, there's so much focus at the moment, too, about um, science and, like, neurology and uh, pharmacology in particular, like, how, like, a specific compound acts on the body. And I think that that's, like, kind of where the sort of very narrow view is mostly focused, at least from from what I'm seeing with, with writing about it. Um, I would like to think that the future is going to, is going to recognize like the necessity of music to guide, to guide a, a journey. Um, I, I think it actually does a much better job than, than words um, or even other. Oh like, yeah. When I say music too, um, you know, I could say ceremony and, you know, one of the biggest things that makes up the quote unquote ceremonial element is the music uh, traditionally. And so that's something I'd like to see more maybe paid attention to. Cause when you talked about the pharma, pharmacological or however you say it um i heard that 80 some percent of the investment dollars right now 
in this space are all going towards that, like drug development, basically, which is the mindset and the thinking that the West has been in. So of course they're going to go there initially. Like that's, that's where the money will flow. But you know, what about the technology of ceremony, which I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of, you know, the past few years, the technology of ceremony. Yeah. I love that term. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you're, I, I totally, yeah, that's that, that number makes sense. 87, 87%, 7% going into actual like novel compounds that people can have rights to and use in their own specific way. Um, we've also, like, there's also some patents that were going around a while ago regarding like hugging or it wasn't hugging, but it was like specific things to the environment, which is when you say like the technology of ceremony, I think there is actually people trying to get specific uh, specific practices that they do like be their proprietary thing. Um, so there is like a little bit of interest in that, but it's also like right. kind of coming from a place that is maybe not necessarily. How do we own it? Yeah. It's like, I mean, I heard compass compass pathways was trying to like patent things like the couch in the room and everyone's That's like, it. yeah, it's like, well, lots of people have couches in a room, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's just absurd to think like that you're trying to own every detail down to, to those sorts of things. Yeah, and it's it's a little. I guess it's a little unfortunate that a lot of the focus on like oh like the, like people get a good piece of information like oh people like to be on couches on psilocybin let's patent it. It's kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> let's stop other people from using yeah. couches. <laughs> let's own it. <laughs> they're, they're, that's so mean, you know. Like couches are comfortable. It's like we should all be allowed to use them in any way in therapeutic settings. Should we desire that? Definitely. And yeah, I really like the technology of ceremony thing, because I, I really think that personally, more so than than pharmacology, that is where the application and like the, the most meaningful way of working with these things is going to come from is sort of the, the how we how we do the experience itself or the integration too, as opposed to like, oh, like this works on this receptor in this way. Right. That's super interesting, and I, I love reading about it. But to actually get re, like, I guess the results that people are looking for, my belief is that would come a lot more from ceremony and the experience. Yeah, it it, it kind of bleeds over into life in general when you think about uh, you know the how versus you know how we do things versus the doing itself. Like what we do, we think a lot more about what we do, and. Uh, if you, if you just look at the experience of a psychedelic itself, how you do it is everything. And we've, we've known this, this is not news. I mean, set and setting, one of the initial ideas from Leary and, and, and Ram Dass when he was Mr. Alpert, uh, this was it. It was like, Hey, the big discoveries, like cover these two things and it will greatly influence the experience itself. And, and so we know this, but we, there seems to be sort of a difficulty translating that into recognition of there's an overall how. And like, not just that it influences the experience, but perhaps um, it's a big part of the experience itself. You know, analogy could be the brew of ayahuasca and how each shaman might make it a bit differently and all the other alkaloids and plants that are in there beyond just DMT and so forth. And if you were to just focus on the DMT, it would be a very different experience most likely. Or the natural compounds that are probably where they are inside a naturally growing mushroom. And we don't fully know 
how that influences the journey, but it probably does, as opposed to synthesized psilocybin. Not to judge one or the other. I'm just saying it's kind of a hubris to say it's one thing as opposed to this holistic, uh, almost artistic experience. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, The ayahuasca analogy is great. Um, everyone, yeah, the common thing is like, oh, you take ayahuasca and you drink DMT, maybe talk about the MAOI or whatever, and that's what it is. But it's... <sighs> Yeah, it's like when I go to a psychedelic ceremony, it's not just about that I drank a cup of ayahuasca. There's like all of these other, yeah, alkaloids or factors in my life, these stories and people and emotions or, or whatever. It's like this very complex web of, of interactions um, to try to make sense of, especially when we're trying to create experiences for people or, or get certain outcomes from it. So like take all of these things into account is it's like almost a, it's almost an overwhelming pursuit, but but I think it needs to be acknowledged as like a, a larger, yeah, holistic type experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when here's another thing. I mean, there are a lot of analogies with ayahuasca for me because it's such a pure, unique experience, or you you still can experience it in that way. Um, another one's like the sounds, right? So a lot of times when you're down there in Peru, I'm guessing most places you're out and like the sound itself is a very powerful element that influences the journey. Like the sounds of the jungle or if it's at night, the, all those insects and the, it's, it's loud. (laughs) It's, it's not like a subtle thing in the background. It's like, that is this major element of the experience. It's this white noise of aliveness around you that creates a kind of trance state of entrainment too of your brain did you experience things like this like the jungle sounds or the sounds of nature so i actually have not done it in the jungle yet i'm planning a journey there in a couple months but i've been just in the mountains so when i go outside it's just like the andes and it's quite it's actually there must be sounds though it's quiet because it's high up yeah so here at night it's actually quite quiet like we can at the center i go to i can hear the road a little bit and some dogs uh and some uh, just some sounds of like life um mm-hmm. but i have not got to be immersed in like the deep nature uh with ayahuasca in particular it is deep yeah oh <laughs> i'm my excited God, the jungle um well tell me some of the things that you've been writing about i mean I, I pulled it up i've been looking at some of it but what's kind of exciting you some of the the uh these ideas you've been getting into some of the subjects of these writings um, I mean, music is actually a, a pretty big one for me at the moment because I've just been quite interested in also like sort of emotional content of these experiences. I feel like yeah. there's a lot of like kind of in- intellectual type conversation or ideas about like, oh, like DMT and aliens and other dimensions. And it's almost a bit of like an, an intellectual game, which is super fun. Um, but it's become really evident to me uh, through sitting in ceremony of just how like a certain frequency or a certain song at a certain moment can just evoke like such strong emotion, like so, so strong um, that it's almost like impossible to ignore that as a meaningful experience because it's so potent. Um, And also, I mean, even to to riff on that deeper too, like how that can even be connected to a somatic experience too, um, how suddenly like you'll, you'll hear the music, you'll feel something super strongly, you'll start to feel it in your body. You might even purge if you're doing something like that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that you purge it, yeah. <laughs> Which is like amazing to me, like super. Yeah. 
yeah. super like someone like the last ceremony I was like feeling sick and just like couldn't purge and then someone hits the flute and they play it for like Boom. a minute or something and <laughs> I'm just done like it's all just blah coming out but it was just that that frequency for some reason had what I needed to like purge this like emotion in that moment yeah people often ask me things like you know what frequencies should you play at what time or frequencies in the body and these sorts of things and I often think like that is a very narrow way of looking at it. It's not just like play this frequency out of a tone generator. It's like what melody or what what emotional characteristic, you know, because music, the constituent parts of time, essentially rhythm, and we'll just call it like relationships, ratios, math, that harmony, the other part of it. And this infinite landscape of how you combine those two to create emotional responses energetic responses like you're speaking to with, with the flute and so it's not as simple as like it's a frequency in my mind it's like it's an art and that's why it's so ineffable and that's why it's so that's why it's so beautiful is because you can't put your finger on it you can't just say oh you tuned to 432 or this or that it's like yeah. that's ridiculous it's like it's infinite it's it's it that's what's what's just so beautiful about music it's like there's never a limit to the songs we can write. There's never, every human voice is like a snowflake. There's no limit to like, you could sing the same quote unquote note from all these different people and each have a completely different character of overtones and feeling. And anything from just, you know, gross feelings to like beautiful feelings to ecstatic to like repulsive, you know, it's a tool. It's a tool. And what's so confounding about music these days it's like we started this by asking like why is it overlooked in this as much as it is i think in this world psychedelic therapy but at the same time it is such a huge part of our world i mean from day-to-day -day life engendering our own emotional states from advertising um it is used as a weapon <laughs> you know it's <laughs> i mean True, yeah. it really it's it's everywhere it's everywhere. So many people are making songs. It's just like, it's almost too obvious. So at the same time, it's like, it's kind of interesting that something that's so important to humanity uh, isn't at the forefront of the conversation in this space. And I think it's because it's artistic and creative and you can't put your hands on it. You can't, and just like the psychedelic experience itself, you can never really grab it. And maybe that has something to do with it's almost avoided because it's, you can't talk about it. Like, how do we talk about the psychedelic experience? You know, so what comes up for you when I say that? Yeah, a few things. Um, not being able to put your hands on it. That's like such a, that's something I grapple with a lot, like trying to write about psychedelics. It's like, ah, like this Terrence McKenna always says, like, you can't English it. Um, and like with music, like I just, I gravitated to the word frequency Cause that's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's just what I've got, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it is hard to pin it down into kind of what you said. People ask you, like, say if I was creating like a ketamine clinic or something and I wanted my like sort of like musical routine, like I would want like, Oh, I'm going to play like this chord progression with this timing and it's going to do this thing for this person. But like, everyone's so individual and like you said there's like an infinite way we can play music and sort of an infinite amount of individuals that relationship is like kind of impossible to quantify 
So learning how to work with it seems uh, a, a little daunting. Uh, and then I was also <laughs> I was also thinking about how um, you were saying like this is like just a huge part of hu humanity and and like just what we are and what we do and maybe we're also taking it a little for granted like it's so obvious but sometimes we miss really obvious stuff too. The obvious is the most devious, as my <laughs> father would say. Uh, yeah, but you know it's almost more of a Western. It, it's kind of ironic. It's a Western blind spot. We're in the West. We're the ones who've cranked music up to 11. We're just like, we, we invented Spotify and, you know, the iPod and, you know, yeah. a, a Max to mix music on your laptop. And we've really killed it on making more. But it's the older cultures that are like, music is a powerful tool. Uh, not just like, not just for psychedelics, but I mean, for community building, for celebration, for prayer for connection, for entertainment. It was kind of like the only thing, probably forever. Mm -hmm. Like there was no other way. You just got together and sang songs or did dances and sang. Um, to like, I don't know, a hundred, little over a hundred years ago, it wasn't that long ago that we started paying other people to sing for us. And you know, uh, so it's a lost art in a sense, but it's right in front of our face. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think though, like, I mean, just from that recent article, like I, I do think there is an appreciation building again for something like um, some sound healing for uh, like I'm seeing all these like apps and things come out where it's like, oh, you can listen to these sounds and it calms you down. And yeah. um, people are like, I mean, it's kind of a Western thing. We're like, oh, we got to like find some utility in this um, beyond, beyond right. entertainment and things. But I do think that there is a bit of a... A bit of a, a different appreciation creeping in around around music. I, I know. I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate for the conversation. Yeah. It is building. I mean, actually, you just wrote about it. So, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's building. Uh, but it, it is true that there's also not a lot of options out there uh, from a modern perspective for guiding journeys oh, that I personally yeah. find are very effective. Uh, I, I have a very, like, high bar i guess about what i think can could be as how beautiful i think it could be or should be as opposed to like just some bowl being drummed right. for like an hour and i'm like shoot me in the head like <laughs> it's like it sounds like torture uh but a lot of people that's their go-to you know uh sound healing doesn't have to be boring it doesn't oh, have to be no, mono mon monotony uh, <laughs> yeah no and i think um that, that like dynamic aspect, especially in like a, a journey space of like highs and lows and different, yes. uh, it, it just stirs up different stuff at different times. It's it's really important for it not to just be like, yeah, like ambient noises and the same droning tones. Um, that's right. That's right, Patrick. Like the narrative, like that's baked into us too. It's like the hero's journey. It's like the music, it's a for a journey. Like it should it should have its own arc to help you navigate the journey itself. Like musically ha it has to tell a story with its highs and its lows and its tension and its release. And hopefully do that in a way that's still good music and good taste, <laughs> you know, not just like Disney music or, you know, yeah. something like that. Uh, you're totally right. And that's, and I think that's a, that's part of the human condition is that we, we want it to have an arc. We want it to 
to come to us and go away in a sense, just like the journey itself, just like life. It, it's here and it's not here. It's like tension and release. Waves. Totally, yeah, tension and release is something I think about quite a bit with it, actually. Um, actually, quite a bit in ceremony, too, with some of the, I like say the Icaros from the jungle, some of it is like quite uh, uncomfortable, like unpleasant, like pretty yeah. dissonant sounds. And that actually, yeah, some of those ones that when you hear like the whole room, everybody starts purging. And oh, I, yeah. I kind of wanted to ask you about that, like the dissonant, like uncomfortableness sounds like playing yeah. with those in like a journey space like yeah is, is that something like you, you try to do to like like sort of like stir up the the goop and then like release it yes yeah um and it's more like it so i mean just the backstory that when i play ceremonies and record those albums they're improvised in their lives so on one level it's a little less intellectualized like hey i'm going to do this thing yeah. it's like i'm sitting in a studio it's more like it's happening and I, I, I want to just allow it to happen, but I allow it to happen. So it's like you can feel in the music, it's like, oh, I, I, you feel the excitement of like it needs to have this and then this. And you're like, this is getting thick. This is getting gooey. And like there's a tension in a there's maybe musical elements crossing that as a dissonance to it, which you just you can lean into that and sense what's happening in the room. Like, no, that we this wants to happen. As opposed to the opposite. It's like, oh, we got to steer a little this way. But it is all about that tension and release because that's the narrative of our life, the narrative of journey, of leaning into something to give us the space to explore uh, spirit and then to have some kind of breakthrough or work through it and have enough time to do that. Um, just couple days ago you know sometimes i get a message or an email that's forwarded my way from someone who's like i had this journey and this this woman wrote me and she's like it was kind of interesting because it relates to what you're saying but she's like you know i had this big journey and i put on your music and it was really guiding me and it was amazing and it got towards the end and then this such and such song came on of yours in the album and uh it was really dissonant and getting dark and i tried to turn it off <laughs> and she couldn't figure out how to turn it off so she had to listen to it but her initial inclination was like just hit go you know skip yeah. skip to the next song yeah but she couldn't so she had to journey with it and it turned into this like oh my god you know this great lesson into like being with the uncomfortable and then working through it to the other side and the sort of feelings and whatever happened through that and we do live in a culture that wants to just skip the uncomfortable whether it's take oh, yeah. a pill or whatever it is and that's not really why we're here right we're here to <laughs> we're here to feel <laughs> yeah. feeling is the point and and the, the jewel is in the feeling and so to answer your question yes uh, i think it's very important that it's not just like, let's say, angelic sounds for the whole time or something, because there's nowhere to go. There's no friction to rub against to know where you are. There's no map, in a sense. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about the the woman who wanted to press press skip, because we can yeah. do that, and we're used to that. She um, couldn't, but she, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she could she have figured it out. Yeah, which is awesome. I love it. Which button? <laughs> <laughs> it's destiny. Um, the, the good thing I think about like having um, 
a facilitator, like a, a shaman or whatever you want to call it, is if say you feel that energy in the room going there and you decide to go there, everyone can't just skip. Like they've committed to this ceremony, to this space. They're not just going to leave. Whereas it's a little bit harder to do that on our own. Um, like it, it's That's possible. Right. But... That's right. You have like you have a captain. With you guys. Well, somebody's got their hand on the wheel. I'm just going to trust. I've already. I can. It gives you a little more safety to be like, all right, I'll lean into this because I'm not just here alone. Like I don't need to make decisions about like, whoa, did we go off way off the rails? It, look, I'll, I'll admit it takes a lot of people to trust the music that's guiding them. It does because it's. I don't know how you feel, but it's. It can be very, very powerful and influential to the journey itself, and that's why. I mean, ultimately, that's why I'm talking about it, because I'm like, it's kind of a, it's a big deal to what you listen to, in my mind. And that's why the people who haven't experienced, like, maybe high quality or intentional music in this space, they don't even know where it can go. Yeah, that's fair. And until it's been experienced, it's hard to know what's possible. Um, like, I, I'm, I'm quite blessed to, to sit at a, a center where there's many, many talented musicians that play like this huge variety of instruments. And it's very, it's a really rich experience. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could go back to other, to, to other ways of drinking ayahuasca in particular. Um, but yeah, without that kind of skilled facilitation and that those kind of, um, uh, that level of experience of how to actually kind of get people to trust you, um, like if, if I'm say, if I'm alone in my room and I'm just like journeying with my Spotify playlist and it starts getting like super dark, like I'm probably going to have like doubts of like, oh, like, is this going to like make me feel awful afterwards? Like, can I handle this on my own? And, you know, I can have to make that decision myself. But if I have a really skilled facilitator that I really trust who starts playing something that just feels awful to me, but if I trust them, I'm going to do it, you know, like I'm going to go there. But it's uh yeah, I'm not much of a fan of these playlists, uh, but that's why we started the whole journey space <laughs> thing or the, these albums. Uh, but honestly, most people don't know the difference. You know, it's like when I if I play live, they'll still think I'm DJing up there or something, and and they'll say, hmm. not trying to disrespect DJs, but they'll just be like, I'm like I was playing live, <laughs> like that was, and they're like, sweet sweet <laughs> DJ set. Um, where can I download it? Um, right. Let me ask you this. Uh, what are you feeling kind of hopeful for? And also, what are you feeling a bit concerned about in in this current moment in this landscape? In the psychedelic landscape, like broadly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just feel hopeful that it's like, I don't know, going mainstream or just getting public, public like greater acceptance. Like the stigma is lifting quite a bit. Um, like I grew up being told I was like dirty cause I did drugs and I was like having these spiritual experiences and it's like super confusing, you know? Um, so I, I'm really yeah. optimistic just about that larger, um, acceptance that it's like, it's okay to like experiment with your consciousness and have these experiences and it even be mysterious and strange and confusing. And like, it's, it's probably good to explore those things. So that makes me feel quite good, actually quite good. Um, any concerns, concerns, you know, as you're yeah, concerns. Like, re writing about this and digging into what's, you know, what's going on. Yeah. So concerns would be, 
I actually have a bit of opposition to things being like a purely sort of medical framework. I don't like, I think there's a pretty obvious application that psychedelics can do some pretty profound stuff for people with, yeah, like really intense, um, mental health, mental health, uh, issues they're dealing with. And like, I think having controlled environments and, uh, like in sort of a medical framework is good. However, I also, a big part of psychedelics for me is like creativity, exploration, um, these things that don't happen in like a small room in a clinic with a Spotify playlist and eye shades, like, and a therapist like hovering over you. <laughs> like, I don't actually think I would like that, to be honest. I, I want to like do it in a ceremony and be it meaningful in that way, or like do it alone in my room and like draw crazy pictures and like just mess around and being creative and play or like connect with like my partner. And I think that stuff is completely healthy and, and awesome. And I just, I just don't want that to get lost in this, like, oh my God, like we can cure OCD. Like, that's awesome. However, we can probably do a whole bunch of other stuff with this as well. Cause I think like play creativity, those are legitimate forms of therapy. Those do amazing things for people and like creative new ideas, like the world needs that stuff in a big way. So, so being open to those, I think is maybe not as much a part of the conversation as I'd like to see at the moment. Well, in some ways, you'll see articles like there was one on the Drudge Report recently about how, you know, people, so many people, or it's commonplace to be taking mushrooms for like performance enhancement, you know, right. basically. And it's like, okay, you know, I, of course, that's where the mind goes. It's just like, how can I essentially be a better hunter? You know, but this is just being a better like <laughs> tech tycoon for. or coder or whatever. Um, so I know there's like a connection there to like just being better humans on the ground, but, uh, it's like the stoned ape theory meets Silicon Valley. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually, you know, I've seen a lot of articles about the like, oh, like you're just using microdosing to be product productive. And it's like, yeah, like, sure. Like you can get into this, like, oh, we're just like fueling this capitalistic system with these microdoses of the sacred substance. And it's like, it's definitely like a, a conversation to be aware of, but I'm also like, I don't know. I like, I love my work. I get to be creative for work. Like maybe I want to like microdose or, or take a whatever small dose to get those juices flowing and to like be in my flow for like many, many hours. Like I'm, if people want to do that, like I'm totally happy for them to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to scorn people trying to be productive at something that's like really awesome and meaningful and you know. Do you think that, that you can buy like a Coca-Cola in the future and it'll be like, you know, with magic mushrooms for like <laughs> sport boost, you know? A Coca-Cola. It's maybe not Coke, but I could see it being like this wellnessy type product like you Mr. Pib. Oh. Mountain Dew <laughs> with LSD. Yeah. You know, it's Mountain like Dew ten acid. mics of uh, yeah, extra caffeine and LSD micro hit. Yeah. It's possible. It's completely <laughs> it's possible. Like I'm sadly sure plausible. Yeah. It, no, it is. Like I'm sure if, if if the regulations allowed that marketers would have like a field day with creative like substance combinations in like energy drinks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my god. I don't know if yeah, it's what going, I want, but it, it could. Going back to that party where someone was passing around that bottle of ayahuasca and I was just like, I feel like they were just taking these sips. I don't know. If it was it was something like I don't know, derivative of ayahuasca or something of this nature, but from the jungle, 
And I'm like, I feel like all that would do is make me ill. Like, <laughs> I would just feel kind of queasy and guilty and be walking around, you know, trying to have a conversation with someone being like, I feel like I could purge if I had more of this <laughs> and I'm listless. Um, well, there's also, of course, mushrooms are a little different because they grow all over the world and they have this very diffuse history, but nonetheless, sort of the extractive nature or colonial nature where, you know, with ayahuasca in particular, I mean, there you are, a white guy from Canada down in Peru, like, uh, extracting the sacred knowledge. Harvesting, (laughs) appropriating the indigenous knowledge. Yeah. No, Uh, it's real. You know, this is, this is part of it. I mean, you seem like a good guy, but I'm more talking about sort of the corporate where they turn it into, uh, commodities, uh, of mm-hmm. course. And I, I know the whole ayahuasca tourism over the last 10, 15 years is, is a big deal. It's really changed things down there. Um, brought a lot of money in, but it's also brought forth anytime you bring money in, it can turn something sideways, you know? Have you yeah. seen a lot of that firsthand? Um, I mean, here in the Valley, it's a quite, I think it's probably a bit different in the jungle is my my feeling. Um, but you definitely see it here. I mean, there's a ton, like this is like people come here to do medicine. That's like why people come to PSAC where I am. Not everybody. There's like nice hikes and stuff, yeah. but there's a huge culture of, um, there's a huge culture of people coming and just wanting to try everything in the book. Um, there's definitely, yeah, it's, it is rife with charlatans. Like there's a lot of people trying to make money off this, um, that, yeah, probably didn't like study in the jungle for 10 years to become like a real ayahuasca, like Curandero Ayahuascaro. It's, um, there's definitely a ton of opportunists. Um, in terms of the money, that's pretty complicated. Like this is like a, Peru is, there's like some super extreme poverty here. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to say the money coming in is bad. I mean, it definitely goes to very few people. It definitely goes to a lot of the people who can afford to like own property and retreats and things like that. And then you kind of get all the charlatans like trying to make money off of these experiences because, you know, you can just go, you can grow San Pedro or something and just give it to people. Um, Man, that's like, a, that's a big complicated thing. I really, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I think it's really amazing. It has brought like a significant amount of respect and curiosity about culture in this part of the world um i think it's really easy to come here and just like get blasted on ayahuasca for a week and then go back home and like not have to deal with any of the other um sort of issues and consequences of of yeah the tourism of uh yeah just like the the poverty and the extreme situations that people live in like the tourism like the money is not going to solve solve those problems obviously there's a bunch of really conscious centers that give back but it's um like the money's good but it's not really fixing everything at all um the interest in the curiosity about like ancient cultures in different parts of the world and how other people are and have have been you know working with medicine or healing is is great um i guess what i'd say at the end of the day is i'm not really seeing a ton of like widespread solutions really great stuff coming out of it um yeah uh, again I, I really i 
think it's really it's really difficult. I think it's really difficult to find a way to translate this like one thing that people are really interested in that they can come and do in Peru into sort of something that can actually help like Peruvians or people in South America, South Central America as a yeah. whole. Yeah. Yeah, it is complicated. Uh, and transformation in general is usually messy, you know, mm. for as, for, as for people, individuals and how that translates out into the world. I mean, quite a mess we're in as a world right now, but on one level, it's a kind of, composting you know tran uh, a transformational process that is some things fall apart some things break down some things explode some things are born you know some things are germinating but it's usually not a straight line so it's good to be as conscious as we can of this stuff um but it doesn't mix back that it's nice that some of these uh, wisdoms and traditions are being shared with people who need them and also terrible that it can be done in an imbalanced way or just what it brings out on some levels of humanity on both sides where we try to take advantage. We have short-sighted thinking. I suppose that's inevitable, but good to keep our eyes on, to be sure. Um, well, as we round the corner here, Patrick, I mean, is there anything else that you're feeling um, kind of alive about or that's sort of on the precipice of your mind or your heart personally or in your professional landscape? Uh, I was actually just going to comment on the... So people come here seeking um, kind of a really I think we have a slightly really common. jagged oh. internet connection because you are very, very far away. Can and you hear me now? You are back. Yes. You're back. Okay. Sweet. Awesome. Um, yeah, the Peruvian internet comes and goes. Um, what I was going to say How in regards to no. the like <laughs> is uh, that people come here wanting like these very traditional experiences and, uh, you know, you, like you want to like do your plant dieta with a shaman who's studied in the traditional way in the jungle and done all the things. But it's also, I have this strong impression that like the, the rituals and the ceremonies and just the way that something like ayahuasca is being uh, served to people is like changing like quite a lot, quite rapidly. Wow. Um, just the way, the way a ceremony is held, the way a training is done, the language people are using like this, um, you know, like the the worldview from someone who's from the Amazon, who's from one of the tribes that have been carrying ayahuasca for so long, is like so different from from ours. Like, like the cosmology that a shaman might be working with in a ceremony. Like, to me personally, like I find it fascinating, mm. but it's like it's so foreign. Like, it's so hard to, for me to relate to. Like multiple layers of reality and entities and all of these, these things that are like, quite real for, for a lot of people actually. So I guess I was just saying that because you're asking like, if I'm, what I'm seeing like people coming here and the tourism and stuff is that these are changing. And I, I often get curious about how, how those things are ever going to really meet. Cause like ayahuasca is, is really strange, like, especially with this, like that sort of cosmic worldview with all these symbols and, and, and things it's doesn't like I drink ayahuasca and I might see all these visions, but to me, I'm coming away with some kind of like emotional 
awareness of like, oh, I need to like love my wife more or something. Whereas it can also be interpreted with like, oh, like the Jaguar means this because you went here to this plane of reality. And, and I just, I, I don't know how all that's going to fit together. D- does that make sense? Well, I, I, what comes up for me when you say that Patrick is like, maybe we don't need to know how that all comes together or it's like beyond our minds. Our minds want to like put those puzzle pieces together. Um, but this is a space that is far beyond just mind. And I certainly wouldn't say I know how that all fits together. Um, I'm humbled by it. Um, but it is a process, you know, it's a process of becoming that we are a part of. And each, each purge, each decision you make to love, each, you know, is part of that process. And even the people who aren't in ceremony, it's all part of it. Um, it's not, you know, one's better or worse. But these are very powerful experiences that are, are out there right now that have been out there, but they're, they're burgeoning right now in a way that is exciting, but also it's a kind of wildfire that you're like, where's this going to burn? It's fertilizing those fields as it burns, you know, is one way to look at it. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know where this goes. You know, it's, is anyone in control of it? <laughs> Hopefully oh, I, not. <laughs> I highly doubt anyone is actually in control of how this is all evolving. Yeah. And, and I, I do like that you call it the compost heap and that things are burning and changing. And that's just, that is just the way of it. Um, and there is no, I also really like that you said, there is no one way that's better than the other. Um, I think, I, I mean, I, I would like to see some sort of merging of the different ways however they're just they're so different they're so so different like my imagination cannot quite handle like what the heck that looks like Mm -hmm. Um, well it's good to have that cultural or just differentiation of opportunities that's healthy you know that sort of diversity is good and in some ways more diversity would be even was great uh because it's a sign of health i think yeah it's i think it's awesome actually that something like um the more I read or learn or experience, yeah, the the wild strangeness of ayahuasca versus like my like very like logical, rational Western worldview, like it it inevitably challenges things. Like I could sit here and hypothesize all day about how I think psychedelics work, but like I have no no real clue how something like ayahuasca works. And it would seem that the shamans do have a bit of an idea how it works. However, it like almost like makes no sense to me except I can mm. experience it and it works but it's very hard to uh, uh you said it earlier about music to just like to hold on to to grasp to to make some sort of satisfying. I want to own it I must yeah. put it in my Fabergé egg and on the shelf yeah yeah it's it's a very western natural idea to like we've just encoded in us to capture things yeah. and put it in a cage Totally, we're gonna like rationalize it, make a tidy explanation to put it in an encyclopedia, and then good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not doable. Yeah, I would say if you go into an ayahuasca journey or any of these journeys with that, that's your intention. Like, I'm going to understand it and put it in a book. It's like, <laughs> it's like let's, I mean, let's the cosmic slapdowns about to happen. Yeah, I mean, lots of people try to do it, um, <laughs> and it's a worthy pursuit. Oh man, it's it's good fun to go in there and try to try to understand something. But yeah, I agree. The slapdown is probably more likely than some sort of uh, concrete, like 
theory of the universe or something. Well, you nailed it on the head. You got to keep it fun. You got to keep it playful in this cosmic play. But I'm excited uh, for you that you can still be down there and and continue these these explorations in your writings. It's nice to meet you, and uh, we look forward to seeing what's next. What what is next for you, and how can people interface with your work? Oh sure. Um, I mean, I continue writing. I'm basically right now. I'm studying circling as an integration technique, so like authentic relating and um, group work. Um, so I'm hoping to have an offering for that in the future. People can find me at adjustablenormal.com. That's my blog. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter there. That's that's where I put all my my musings and ideas. And do you have yeah. a? Are you are you doing the Substack thing? Is that part of Adjustable Normal? Mm, no, it's just a thing on that website. So okay, yeah. If you go there, you can find that newsletter there. Cool. Yeah. Well, I will put that in the show notes too. And. Uh, Patrick McConnell, thank you so much for sharing some time with us today. Wow, yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for yeah, for leading the way with what you're doing. It's amazing stuff. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for taking the time and very cool to be able to chat from Peru and always great to, to meet a new friend in the community. This song that you're listening to is called Undying and it is off the Possible album. There's a playlist actually on Spotify that we call it Possible Everything. And it's got the Possible album, the Still Possible B-Sides album, the Live in the Studio four songs. Um, So check it out and you can hear everything from these sessions. Uh, The Still Possible album is the most recent. And that's just like I said, some of the outtakes and B-Sides from that recording session. Uh, oh, and be sure to check out Patrick's adjustablenormal.com in the show notes. He's got some great writings, and I think you will enjoy them. I uh, look forward to seeing you on the road. Dates are coming soon, and there's some up there now. Go to eastforest.org for all things, uh, tickets and, and things like that, especially our friends in Europe, because those dates are ticketed and are selling now. Uh, i got to get my plane ticket, but I'm looking forward to seeing you in November. Okay, y'all keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do, you know what to do. Do it with grace. <laughs>